Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and welcome to the Flypass podcast. I'm Hans from Key Publishing and today I uh, am joined by James Peen, the uh, new assistant editor on Flypast and uh, all our historic aviation stuff. All right, James, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Hans, how are you? Yeah. I'm all right. I'm all right. Welcome. Welcome to uh, Key Publishing and Flypast. And of course, welcome to the Flypast podcast, which, um, you know, is the big one, let's be honest. Good to to have you here. How long have you been here? Uh, This is actually exactly a week now. Exactly a week. Exactly a week. How is is Flypast? Is it living up to all your dreams? It's really cool. I mean, so far, I've read a few uh, articles the next issue. And just to be reading about airplanes is like really amazing. You know, it's, having spent so long reading about other stuff, it's it's nice to read something that actually I'm genuinely into. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, it's um, it is uh, very cool, isn't it? Sometimes to sort of sit there and sort of think, actually, yeah, get paid for get paid for sort of doing this. I mean, how did you um, how did you first get into historic aviation? Was it when you were a kid? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people at my age, you sort of you hang out with your grandparents a lot. And I don't know, do you know, uh, like Russell Brand, when he talks about nan kids, mm. and like if you hang out with your grandparents, you start talking like them and you get into stuff that they like as well. So not so much slippers and pipes and stuff, but like just talking about what my grandparents got up to in the war, that kind of really sort of kindled my interest in it. And then, you know, you kind of realize that all these frail old people who you see sort of walking about now, you know, into Weathers Originals, but actually in their youth, they were like, you know, paratroopers and pilots and, you know, what the greatest generation. Yeah, and it's 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 incredible to um to think that we've spoken about about that actually on this podcast where you know sort of you know Colonel Sir Tom Moore kind of brought that back into the public consciousness, didn't didn't he? Really, I mean, you had you know young teenagers looking into what he had actually sort of done on Google and having a real kind of newfound respect for for that generation, um, which was which was quite cool, wasn't it? Did you? Am I to take it then that you were you know as a five year old talking like some sort of nineteen forties broadcaster, James? <laughs> I think I was kind of a weird kid, and as much as like no one else I knew was talking about uh, John Mills films or you know Spitfires <laughs> or anything like that, so I think possibly I was a little bit strange in that respect, but it kind of made me who I am now. Well, you know, but there was you know I suppose you know books would have been a real outlet. You, you mentioned your, your your age, so just you don't have to say your exact age, uh, James. That's probably against some HR rules, but give us a sort of rough, you know, a rough ballpark, you know, even of decade. Okay, well, I am mid forties, like so pretty am much. I. Yeah, so am I. Okay, so we're talking. Okay, so books really for our, for for our generation were a massive outlet, weren't they? You know, and going to the library. This is obviously you know, you know, in the in the early to mid eighties, there was no internet or anything like that. It was you know, books and airfix models, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I got dragged to the library like every week by my mum, and you kind of just sort of, sort of fall into reading certain things you like so for example i got into reading um derek robinson stuff i just because i saw the cover on the on the shelves and it was piece of cake yeah piece of cake yeah that's that's the, that's the classic isn't it and i think i must have been the only person going to st barnabas library and just getting it out like every other week when i had to go back i go back and get it out the next time i was there and uh, i think i was the only person who ever read that book for probably about three years and eventually i bought it when they had to clear out the library it was on the shelves for sale I, mean, I bought it for about sort of a pound. 
So I've I still got that copy now. <laughs> I love the way that you, uh, you, you know, three years, you got to build up to this stuff just to check you really like it. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, are, what are some of the other um, books you remember reading? Oh, a big one for me was um, there was a jumble sale at my local school, um, my old primary school, and I went back to it. And there was um, one of those um, Marks and Spencer's books, like St. Michael, I think they were called. And it was like a compendium of three stories. So it mm-hmm. was Enemy Coast Ahead, The Last Enemy, and Reach the Sky. Yes. And I used to read them all, like get to the end and then go back and read the first one again. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember. Yeah, Reach for the Sky, sort of definitely. Yeah, Saint Michael or San Michel, as San Michel, uh, my, it, yeah. as my uh, my dad used to sort of like call it. You know, um, yeah, they they were they were huge, weren't they? And I think Airfix as well. Like, I was trying to explain this to my kids the other day. Like, I was just trying to explain to them that me making uh, an Airfix Spitfire, you know, in 1983 was basically the equivalent you know, as mad as it sounds of you going on your Xbox now and playing Fortnite and they sort of struggled to, you know, compute it, but it, it, it was, wasn't it? It was, it was kind of one of the things we had. And, you know, I think looking back, Airfix is brilliant because that, that was the sort of period, wasn't it? Of your childhood where you really studied the, 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 the shape and the contours of um, particular aircraft, wasn't it? I think making a model sort of really makes you appreciate of the, the shape, doesn't it? I think once you get into it, and then once you start trying to paint them and like, like get glue all over the canopy and things like that, you sort of you develop a real appreciation for the design. Yeah. I think. And I remember going to buy mine from, there was like a news agent that was sort of a bicycle ride away, so I used to ride on my rally milk race and then go and buy an Airfix. And it, it wasn't sort of a particular choice. It was like, what was in the shop you bought? So I ended up buying a lot of Spitfires and Stukas mainly. <laughs> Just to, because that's what they had. Yeah, I know there wasn't any of this. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll wait to, uh, I'll go and have a look in the shop, and what they haven't got, I'll go on Amazon and have a look at. You know, there wasn't yeah. any. You know, there's different time, different time. People just, you know, don't realise it, do you? I mean, and, and so have you? Um, you've been reading, f- you know, fly past for for a few years. Yeah, I suppose you had to say that. You had to say that in the interview, anyway. I had right? to say it in the interview, but it's actually true. I had a, I had a subscription like going back quite a long way. And I used to um, use that for the basis of some of my art projects, my GCSEs. Mm-hmm. So I used to sort of copy some of the um, the illustrations that, that used to run in there. Um, and then I sort of, sort of got more into my car side of things. And I, and I just sort of dip into Flypass whenever there was something that sort of appealed on the cover. So mm-hmm. a bit of a floating uh, reader. Yeah. Well, you'll be able to now, sort of, once you've been a few months, you know, and you've sort of done like done a few issues of it, you'll be able to sort of like say, yeah, it was missing something until I joined. You yeah, know? absolutely. And, <laughs> yeah, sort of like eradicate the uh, the last 40 years of it. It's actually sort of quite fascinating. Um, like, the, you know, like the guy Peter Arnold, who's been sort of contributing to Flypast ever since like it, it started. And you know, when I went to um, see him, he's got like a Spitfire, like in his, in his garage, basically. But he's also got all all the bound, like every single fly past ever and pretty much every aeroplane going back quite a few years as well. And going back and sort of looking at early fly pasts issues, it's, it's, it's quite sort of, um, it's quite amazing to see how, you know, what, what it looked like, you know, in the early eighties and what it looked like now, but, you know, essentially it's still, you know, I suppose at its heart, it's the same thing, isn't it? Um, I suppose, a lot of us get into historic aviation through our grandparents. You sort of mentioned your, your 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 grandparents earlier. I mean, were there any kind of, you know, did did your sort of granddad, you know, serve or anything like that? Yeah, well, both my grandparents were in the war, so 
Um, on my mum's side, who I used to spend a lot of time with, because they were quite local, I'd go there like every weekend, pretty much. Um, my nana, um, she was married to um, a guy who was in the Royal Artillery. I, she met him out in India because she was out there, west where she grew up, and he was he joined the army in India when he was like sixteen. So he was a career soldier, and then obviously when the war came, they came back to the UK, and he went off and fought. So she didn't see him for about four years. So he he went from Africa, Egypt. Um, then straight across Europe. So I've got all of his medals, all his campaign medals, all the, all the countries he fought in. But she didn't see him for a long, long time. And then on my dad's side, uh, my granddad, who's got a really good name, he was Victory. So I, everyone's called him Vic, but his real name was Victory Peen because he was named after the um, flagship from Trafalgar because he was born in that area. But he was a paratrooper. So watching things like Bridge Too Far and then realizing that actually he was there kind of left a big impact on me. So I've kind of, in recent years, I've kind of not aped his sort of interest, but I, I've tried to sort of follow his path a little bit. So I've done a parachute jump, I've done a skydive, and then for the 17th anniversary of Market Garden, I went out to Arnhem for all the celebrations. And it was quite cool to like go out to Ginkle Heath to think that, you know, 75 years ago, he was paratrooping in there and being shot at. And just, you know, that sort of stuff is important, really, I think, for your family history, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the, doing a... Um doing a parachute jump, you know, because, uh, cause that's what he did. That's, that, that's, that's definitely taking it to the extremes, isn't it? Um, where, where did you do that? I did that at Sibson airfield, sort of Peterborough way. Yes. Oh, it's just up, just up the road for me. Don't want to give away my location, but you know, it's just up the road. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, that was cool because, um, in the end, um, or we did a whole day of training and then the following day it was scrubbed because the weather was too windy, but we got to stay the night, um, in the airfield, which was kind of weird, stopping the old barracks, which oh, is really? all kind of a little bit sort of spooky and sinister, but also quite cool. Yeah. That's well, that, that, that's weird. I did, I did a parachute jump, um, like a few years ago, like when sort of traveling, it's probably sort of going back about, yeah, pretty much sort of 20 years ago. Right. But I didn't spend a whole day training. I did it in New Zealand, but there was about half an hour of training. I don't know whether this is sort of reflective of the health and safety, um, era 20 years ago. And perhaps in New Zealand is sort of shining a bit of a harsh light on it. It was basically like, um, they just sort of said, Oh yeah, put your, when, I, when I tap you on the head, you know, you know, lean back and put your, put your kind of like your arms across your chest and then uh and when i tap you again like put them out the end bend your, bend your knees when you land right we're off yeah and uh, <laughs> it's sort of like quite it's um even doing it under those circumstances though you know it's it's obviously quite nerve-wracking i was basically bullied into it by my wife and if she is listening which she won't be but you know yes it was bullying but you know i kind of thought oh, i can't really sort of back out now we'd only just got married so i didn't want to start start my whole life on a on the wrong foot right so but it's you know when you're kind of going up in the aircraft and you're especially when you get to that bit where your legs are sort of dangling out the the edge aren't they and and you the the, the guy that you're sort of strapped to is kind of sitting down and you're like dangling 14 thousand feet up you know and you sort of think even even as a leisure pursuit that is quite nerve-wracking so can you imagine what it would have been like you know doing that you know under you know very very sort of serious kind of like wartime conditions it's sort of doesn't bear thinking about does it i mean jumping out at night with all your kit on you being shot at and then you know you're going to land somewhere where you're just surrounded by enemy it's just kind of crazy it doesn't you can't even get your head around it for our generation i don't think because we've never been in a situation any, anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, it was you know doing doing it in the day was enough to sort of like you know 
that's enough to focus the mind, isn't it? Really, like jumping out of a plane, you know, fourteen thousand feet up, dropping at, you know, one hundred and thirty miles an hour, or whatever. But I can't imagine doing it at night. That is, you know, I, I actually just can't really get my head around that, really. But you know, I suppose it's a bit like. Um, you know, we've sort of spoken on this podcast before, you know, Spitfire pilots now will sort of say, look, it's an amazing, you know, aeroplane to fly. But, you know, it's one thing doing an Aero Legends or whatever for an air show. We're just, you know, it's just us two up there and we can do what we want. But, you know, now try doing it five times a day in the freezing cold at night being shot at, you know, that's a different kettle of fish, isn't it? <laughs> It'd give you the twitch then, wouldn't it? Totally. Yeah, it's it is it is pretty pretty crazy. You mentioned like going to Arnhem for the 75th anniversary. That must have been pretty cool. It was really cool. It was something I always wanted to do, and I wanted to do it with my granddad. But obviously, you know, he never got the chance. Just he died before I could even drive. Um, and actually, having spoken to my uncle about it, he said he never wanted to go back to Arnhem anyway because yeah. he had too many too many memories of uh, losing friends there and what have you. But it was somewhere that's always been on my bucket list. And I used to go out to France quite a lot. Um, been to all the Normandy beaches and things like that, but going to Arnhem was kind of a, a bit more of a special pilgrimage. Um, and just seeing how friendly the Dutch are and how much they've taken it to heart, and the fact they still put candles and you know flowers and all the graves every year it is an amazing place to go to. Yeah, no, it, it, it is incredible, and you know, an amazing thing to to do to honour honour your you know your family history. I think you know, um, I suppose you know a lot of there's been quite a few sort of cool old sort of films as well. It's another that's that was another kind of occasional outlet for us, wasn't it? Sort of you know growing up, you know. And I suppose as the older you get, and the more these things become accessible, we've 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 been able to kind of watch a lot of these uh, these old sort of classic uh, you know war movies, haven't we? Yeah, I mean they've all sort of disappeared off of terrestrial television. But I remember as a kid watching like. Is it on Channel 4, BBC in the daytime or at the weekend? There'd always be something on. There'd always be a, a John Mills film or something in black and white that you kind of you just got sort of sucked into, you know, Angels 1-5 or The Way to the Stars. I mean, I can't remember the last time they were on TV, but growing up, there was something I always used to look forward to and set the VHS for. Yeah, he said, yeah. <laughs> set the VHS. That was always quite a complicated endeavour as well. Try and, try and explain that to people. Like, you know, we used to buy this thing called the Radio Times. There was a barcode that at one stage you scanned and it like, you know, tried, you tried to record it. You, just, you, know, they, you know, they just look at you like, it's just like you're drunk. That was you know? new technology. I remember trying to program it on the screen, actually like typing it in. I can't yeah, calculate Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, that's, you're back in the day, aren't you, where you basically, like when Channel 4 came along, I mean, that that increased the amount of channels we had by 25%. You know, before that, it was BBC One, BBC Two, ITV. That was it. Yeah. I mean, and- now, I mean, you, there's like, you probably could watch a lot of these old sort of films, but they'll be on like... um you know, they're probably, you know, if you go onto like Al Jazeera now or the God Channel or something like that, they'll probably be on there. But I mean, it's just, you know, back then, you're right. You, you know, it was BBC Two, I think, in particular, would would have a kind of often kind of an old war film, wouldn't it? Yeah. But then also, I remember growing up, there's a couple of good stuff, sort of uh, aviation related. So they made Piece of Cake, didn't they? And then yeah. they also did the Nigel Havers one. Was that a Perfect Hero? Do you remember yes. that one? Yes, I do. Yeah. Piece of cake. So that was, kind of, I think that was kind of late 80s, wasn't it, when they made Piece of Cake? Yeah. yeah. London Weekend Television, wasn't it? it was on uh, LWT. Yeah. It's the good yeah. old days. 
it probably wasn't. It was actually probably the bad old days. But you know, let's let's um, for the purposes of this podcast, let's uh, let's. Well, having uh, watched a bit of piece of cake back uh, recently, a few years ago, it is a bit corny now. But it's the flying scenes that make it for you, isn't it? That's kind of what you go back for. Yeah, I mean, actually, I suppose you're kind of really getting into. <sighs> Um, a, a thorny area here, aren't you? Because a lot of those, a lot of you know, films. You, when we look at look at them, sort of through the prism of now, you know, there's there's that. A lot of people have the ten- tendency to want to sort of like do some sort of big takedown of the of, of the film, don't they? Just because it was of a particular era, or it's you know not very sort of PC or or whatever it is. But I think some of them still hold up as really good good bits of film though don't they i mean what are some of your what's what are some of your kind of favorite historic aviation films oh blimey there's so many of them um i've already said like angels one five um well danvers did obviously um i think probably 12 o'clock high gregory peck that's like yeah. my all-time classic and i think if you ask me like top five list of films i think that comes in the top five every time that is that is um a cool one there was like um wasn't it there was that kind of there's some mad facts about the B17, weren't they? That um, they're using it. What was the name of the um, what was the name of the um, the pilot? It was Paul um, Mance, wasn't that's it? it? So that's it. At the time, it was the most expensive amount paid to a stuntman because um, he crash landed the B17, barely landed at the very start of the film, and I think he was paid four and a half thousand dollars, which seems a small amount of money to risk your life for, and also a very small amount to ride a B17 off. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But wasn't it? Uh, um, I'm pretty sure that there was some sort of thing like it was the only time that one ever sort of just took off with one person on board or something like that. That might be. I yeah, might be I think lying. that's it. And also, they were going to make it in color because they had all the, obviously the technology to it. But then they decided to do it in black and white so they could splice in original combat footage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wh- where do you stand on like you know Memphis Bell? Uh, love and hate. Love and hate <laughs> Memphis Bell. <laughs> I just think I, I get a little bit annoyed when they change the story for something. So it, I think the film, obviously you're watching lots of B-17s and it's, it's nicely shot and everything like that. But the fact that it's so made up compared to the original story, which itself is an exciting story anyway, mm. the fact that they had to change it all kind of annoys me. I kind of wish they'd just make a, a historically accurate version of something. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, but, I mean, and then obviously the big one, Battle of Britain. Love it. Who does Classic. love it? Classic. I'm there. There will be people. There will be, people. I, but I think they're just lying. Oh, I've got the soundtrack on my phone actually on my Apple Apple Music. So, have you? Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I mean, what's not to like? Michael Caine, you know. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, it, it's cool. Uh, the 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 guy mentioned uh, Peter Arnold. He um, he said he used to just turn up in the summer of 1968 when they were filming it. He found out where they were filming. He used to turn up to the set and uh, say, "Can I come in?" And the security guard was like, "Yeah." come in and have a look around. He's just turn up to the set every day and just go and have a little mooch around. Imagine like, you know, any security guard of, you know, you wouldn't be able to, a security guard won't even let you into a car park now, let alone a film set. I think I am, um, I don't know where I saw it, but there was, there was a, um, a Michael Caine interview from years and years ago. It might have been an old party or something like that. And he's talking about Battle of Britain and he was saying that he was taught to taxi a Spitfire. And he was saying that, you know, We've taught one thing, but then as he was actually doing it, the reality was he was getting faster and faster and he almost took off at one point. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine that? Like, I don't know, Tom Cruise now taking off on an F-14 by accident. 
Yeah, probably, probably not. Or maybe he does do his own stunts. Uh, which actually, uh, that's a that's a neat segue into um, the most, perhaps the most controversial of all of all films, isn't it? You know, maybe I, I don't know whether I consider it a historic aviation movie, Top Gun, but it's. I suppose it's kind of. It must be sort of thirty five or so years old now, mustn't it? That sort of mid. That sort of mid kind of eighties uh, um, era it is pretty old, isn't it? I mean, um, we've done a lot of talking about uh, Top Gun uh, previously on this podcast. Um, where, where do you where do you kind of stand on it? I have to say, uh, actually, you- actually, before you d- uh, before you do that, so I, uh, you know, Tara Leggett, your colleague on on yep. Fly Past, um, is an unashamed Top Gun fan. She claims. That she was brought up on it, um, which you know made me think of Childline in the eighties. But anyway, we won't go there. I, I, I sort of view Top Gun. Um, you know, is it the greatest film ever made? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure about that. I'm kind of like I'm sort of a bit more lukewarm to it. I tell you what, we're going to do. Right? Let me see. Let let, uh, let me see if she's around. Let's get. Let's dial in Tara Leggett. Bring and, the expert. Yeah. Well, let's in, let's see what she's got to say about she she can kind of um she can basically get your take on on Top Gun um straight from the horse's mouth. She might not even pick up. She probably won't. Oh, hang on. Looks like who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah. Hi guys. Hello, hello, Tara. How are Hi, you? Tara. I'm all right, thanks. How are you? Fine, fine. We um, have I sorry, joking aside, have I disturbed you in the middle of doing something really sort of serious, deadline related that you um that you uh, can't can't talk at the no. moment? Or you're okay? You're all right. No. Um, I mean, not busy at all. Really. I, <laughs> <laughs> tell people that this is essentially though the, the the part of the job, James, where we're basically we can't be sacked for waffling on for half an hour. So it's kind of um, you know it's fine. Um, Tara, we were guess what's just come up in conversation? We were talking about um, historic aviation movies and and whatnot, and then Top Gun came up in. Oh, yes. um, in in conversation, Am I, I was just like this. Hands. I was just about to. I, well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you might do. You might not. I was just about to ask James what he thinks of Top Gun. Or I'm and, already, and I'm, then, I'm already in a mood with James about something, so he's just going to get in my bad books even further. Okay, what have you done? I mean, I, I so just I, I'd ask James. So what do you think about Top Gun? And then I stopped him and I thought, right, hang on, right, because I, I mentioned <laughs> that you. Uh, the phrase I used was the one that you have used previously, which was you were brought up on Top Gun. Yes. Which is correct. Yes. I mean, you can. I mean, people can draw their own conclusions on that upbringing. Uh, I've sort of like <laughs> described my. I've described my my opinions on Top Gun as a bit more kind of, a bit more sort of, you know, lukewarm, shall we say, James, Top Gun. I would say it stands out as the pinnacle of Tom Cruise's movie career, and I'm not a fan of Tom Cruise's movies. <laughs> Why have you dialed me into this conversation? I, I just now? thought I just thought that you know it, it, we could sort of <laughs> once again talk about. Can you explain again uh, what, what what makes Top Top Gun such a magical uh, film for you, Tara? I just love it. It's just you know it came from to me. It came from the height of sort of the Cold War era. Sort of what was it, nineteen eighty four? 
1986, I reckon, but don't, don't, no one quote quote me on that. I mean, it's mid 80s. We're going to call it mid 80s. Yeah. And to be completely honest, I'll be 100% honest. Tom Cruise doesn't do it much for me, but the film itself does. I think it was because it was probably one of the first films that I ever watched that was aviation related and it just holds a soft spot, me and my mum watching it. Do you, do you think though that, you know, um, like in the mid eighties, you know, you know, that real kind of like probably the real start of that blockbuster era. Do you think that as a, you know, people who are into, you know, aviation, you know, at the time, do you think they were just so happy that someone had made a, made a Hollywood blockbuster with like F-14s and stuff in it that they, um, that they, they could just basically park the fact that there was kind of, you know, no plot and no detail and, you know, all the characters (laughs) were horrific and, 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 um, Kelly McGillis looked old enough to be Tom Cruise's mother. But anyway, let's just part that bit as well. Do you not? Do you not think there was a little bit of a kind of um, people just sort of looked past that because they just thought, "Great, someone's made someone's made something cool with fighter jets in." No, because the, the the inaccuracies are just tenfold. Like, there's so many inaccuracies in it that you just can't count them. And so, I don't think I think aviation nuts at the time were probably more insulted than anything probably a bit like we can handle a real situation. You don't have to like, you know, intertwine a love story and a sad wingman story and a topless volleyball scene for us to, which, to get all of which, all of which they did. I mean, it's not just the, it's not just the aviation nuts. It's what about all the beach volleyball players who just thought, hang on, we don't well, do this I in mean, our jeans. I mean, I Val Kilmer, you know, <laughs> the only time Val Kilmer's been sort of considered sexy, isn't it? All I'm saying, all I'm saying is I've seen far worse that is more recent. That's a glowing recommendation, isn't it? I've seen worse. (laughs) No, because Hans knows I love it. But what I'm trying to say is, I don't know, just don't get on the bandwagon and hate on it just because you can. Look, I mean, this, you've probably seen worse though, but we're in the the, uh, Netflix era now where people make like 10 movies a day, don't they? Hmm. So, you know. Although it's not on Netflix. Isn't it? Is there a reason for that? (laughs) James, you've already dissed my pilot bear. We don't need to get into this. Well, look, I mean, it's... I think, you know, we'll just... We'll just park it there. To be fair, though, we say all this. I say all this, but, you know, I'll still be one of the first to go and watch a new one when it comes out. Exactly. And if it was that bad, would they be, A, making a new one, and B, would it have made so much money? We well, can film it in a, in a uh, cockpit, can't you? So it's COVID friendly. That's why they've made it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Tom Cruise, but uh, I mean, you know, I'm not. I haven't got a down on Tom Cruise. I think hey, he seems like a nice enough. He seems like a nice enough bloke. Yeah, he's affable chap, isn't he? I suppose well, so. I yeah. Know. No. Him. Yeah, he was doing some um, filming apparently once in um, or a few. Uh, a couple of years ago um and he stayed at a hotel in um in peterborough but um the, the people behind reception didn't recognize him which, wow which apparently we found, he found a bit mortifying he's quite <laughs> small isn't he maybe you can see over the counter i do <laughs> anyway of mine her mum used to uh dance with him on cruise ships really yeah she's st- what, what was he a regular cruise don't, ship i goer? don't really know that's the extent of the story that i was told 
Oh, did, you know, good to good to see you following the journalistic nows there. To, uh, to to my, I love the way you just left it there. Oh, that's a nice story. Anyway, is it time for another cup of tea? <laughs> it's just a bit like right. Okay. Well, look, let's. Um, it's been a nice, nice little introductory chat, James. I think you know, uh, you know. Ultimately, I think you're going to be uh, on this podcast a lot more, aren't you? Hopefully, you know, we've got plenty to talk about and uh, lots of ideas for some uh, exciting stuff coming up. Yeah, excellent. Well, look, um, thanks, uh, thanks for uh, dialing in, and you, Tara, as well. Thanks, thanks for, for having me for the whole thanks, six minutes. Thanks for uh, oh, look at this. You know, so I'm going to get a, I'm going to get an email from HR in a minute. Six minutes is enough to talk about Top Gun. <laughs> yes, <laughs> if anything, too long. Uh, well, look, yeah, thanks for joining us, uh, and uh, thanks for listening. Uh, see you again same time next week. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.